Today's scripture reading will be from Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Our teaching today is only on verse 19 through 20, but we will read the entire section. If you'll join with me in our Pew Bibles, this is page 979. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Morning. We have a couple more weeks in Ephesians. Going to be wrapping up this spiritual warfare portion uh, this morning, and then probably the last last Ephesians study will be the the uh, week after. Then we'll be heading into Second Samuel. So busy studying for that, and I think we're going to be there for quite a while, just to get you ready for that ride. I was looking back at when I did First Samuel. I think it was over 12 years ago. And um, I guess it took me 12 years to get back on track to, to get to that book. But last week was verse 18, where Paul was exhorting us to pray. And then we're going to focus on verses 19 and 20 this morning. Let me just reread that for us. Uh, Paul's talking about praying and also for me. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. You know, the, the word of God is, is really powerful. It's really convicting. And uh, one of my confessions that I need to confess to you all this morning is that my own personal prayer life hasn't been as great as it could have been a couple of months ago. It was only made better more recently because of my own studies for these past several sermons. And, and that's actually what kind of humbled me to actually get more into prayer and, and humbled by the word of God that I wasn't practicing the things that I was preparing to teach about. So prior to these studies that had me take a look at my own prayer life, I was actually in sort of a prayer rut. I wouldn't even say I was all that disciplined about it or doing it all that often, just not putting much into it, not very mindful of my own lack of prayer. 
And so I'm, a hope for me, a prayer for me for you is that the Word of God speaks to you regarding your prayer practice um, as it is such a powerful, critical, spiritual weapon for us. And for any of you who may need some prayer encouragement, at the end of our service, we, we are going to attempt to pray for one another. And so we'll save that towards the end. But let's briefly look back at verse 18, where it reads, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And with verse 18 in mind, Paul then immediately follows these all statements, and and then he adds this, and also for me, in verse 19. And so when all of you are praying at all times with all prayer and supplication, keeping alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, don't forget about me. Right? He's, he's just saying, I, I'm one of those saints. Please keep me in mind. I want that prayer too. And so we know Paul to be a man of prayer, very disciplined in his prayer life. And you take a look at Paul very early on in his conversion to Christianity, and you actually find him praying. Take a look back to Acts chapter 9. This is about the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. He's heading to Damascus after getting approval from the high court to arrest Jews who have converted to Christianity, and then to bring them and to back and to try them in the high court. And so as he's going there, he's blinded by God at this Damascus road, and then God tells Ananias to go to Paul, who was blinded for three days, and for those three days, Paul fasted. He didn't eat anything, he didn't drink anything, and what else do we find him doing? It's in Acts chapter 9, verse 11. And the Lord said to him, speaking of Ananias, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. He's praying and he's fasting. And that's who Paul is. He's a man of prayer. He, he prays to God. And towards the end of his letter in Ephesians, he's, he's reaching out to others Four prayers, and this, this is Paul. Paul needs the prayers of others. And you think Paul needs the prayers of others? That this guy who wrote a lot of the New Testament, this guy who evangelized so many people into the kingdom of God, this person who addressed the most influential leaders in the region with the gospel, and to think that if Paul needs the prayers of others, surely we're in need of those prayers as well. Now maybe those who appear that they don't need our prayers are people who need the prayers the most. Especially people like Paul who actively do ministry and seem to have it all together spiritually. And it is those who are in the spiritual fight who need our prayers the most as they are wielding the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and they are praying and needing our prayers. And so I think of New Day for Children ministers who are at their last day of horse camp today. And I think of Thurlow and Karina who last week shared about the nest and their ministry in Costa Rica last week. And it's not that those in full-time vocational ministry are more special than anyone else. 
Actually, when a person is spiritually healthy, they don't see themselves as special at all. They realize their their desperate need of prayer because they see themselves as they really are, just as Paul did. And how did Paul see himself? 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. So Paul isn't just telling people that they need to pray. He's saying, pray and please pray for me. The lack of asking others for prayer isn't something that only people in ministry are guilty of. I think people in ministry leadership or people who have been Christians for quite a while, you know, they've just been Christians for years or they grew up in a Christian home. We're all in need of prayer and many of us just simply don't ask for it. And I don't know all the reasons, but maybe we just think we're above that or, or there's some other thought going through our heads. I, I'm not sure the reasons why. I look at Romans chapter 12, verse 3, and it reads, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. In this practice of asking for prayer, we are also practicing humility. We are practicing vulnerability. And as we share about our own struggles, this opens us up for these wonderful practices. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 which jump-started this whole spiritual warfare series. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And you notice that Paul included himself in this as he addresses this as we. Paul doesn't just write about the good stuff that happened to him. In fact, the entire Bible doesn't do this. The entire Bible is very truthful. It's very honest. The the Word of God shows humility, vulnerability of everyone who's in it. Not everything recorded puts people in their best light in the Bible. Not everything Paul did in ministry appeared successful. And not all of the disciples were apparently successful in their ministry. Take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And so this abandoning, this desertion of Paul's ministry happened to Paul himself, arguably one of the greatest evangelists of all time. And it also happened to Timothy, who was one of Paul's direct disciples, And it's going to happen to our own church. It's going to happen to any of us who share the truth of God to people that people are going to leave. And it happens at our church all the time. And our church and I are in need of your prayers. We're not immune to any of these things. And one of the biggest dangers that ministry leaders and people who have had a relationship with God for a while face is their pride. We develop a pride. Because over the years, we experience some form of success. And sometimes it just inflates our pride. And we really need to be careful about this. That we think too highly of ourselves because we have 
higher education or because of our financial situation and it's stable or because of our upbringing or because of some accomplishments that we've done. God has a way of humbling all of us, doesn't he? He did this for Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. That's a bummer. Right? Something bad was allowed into Paul's life for a really good reason. So that he didn't get too puffed up. And while doubts may creep in during this time for Paul, to have Paul question why God isn't answering his prayers. Why is he experiencing these bad things? Why aren't things going the way that we want them to go and they're supposed to go? These are all questions that we all struggle with just as Paul was struggling with these things. And we have to remember that God loves his children. And he has this way of keeping us level-headed no matter how great we think we are. And he says, pray also for me. See, Paul wasn't self-reliant on his own abilities, his own gifting. He wasn't self-reliant on his education, his accomplishments, his place in society. He wasn't prideful. He asked for prayer because he knew that he needed it. And one of the gauges that we have in our own spiritual humility is to ask ourselves, when was the last time that I asked for prayer? When you ask for prayer, not someone asking you if you needed prayer, but you just kind of yourself took initiative to say, you know, I need, I need prayer. When was the last time that that happened? Because that is a practice of humility. That is a practice of vulnerability. And our church needs your prayer. Our church leadership needs your prayers. I need your prayers. Why? Because we're in this constant spiritual battle. All the time. Our enemy is unrelenting. Colossians chapter 4 verses 2 and 3, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. That's why we pray. And also 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 1, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread ahead and be honored as happened among you. And so we're in need of one another's prayers. Prayer is one of our spiritual weapons. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. See, our weapons against this darkness, against these evil strongholds, are the word of God and prayer. So that whenever you hear the evil ones say to you, did God really say? Because he will always ask you that. He will always put that in front of you. Maybe not those exact words, but it's something similar. And when he whispers to you or tells you, did God actually say that? That is a time for you to seek God's word. That is the time for you to talk to God. It is not a time for you to talk to yourself or to talk with other people. 
It's not a time for you to search for your answers on the internet. It's time to open the word of God. It's time to pray. It's time to ask others to pray for you. When Paul asked for prayer, you'd think he would have asked for some very, very natural things that anyone else, many other people, would have prayed for. He was in prison. He was locked up in prison. You'd think that the natural prayer he'd ask for is his release. Right? That, that's a very natural thing to pray for. But you notice that he never asked for that. Isn't that weird? What does he ask for? Paul asks for supernatural things. He doesn't ask for the natural things. He asks for supernatural things. Look at verse 19 and 20 again. And also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Isn't that odd? That you are in prison, that you are in chains, and you don't ask people to pray for your release. Instead, he asks for prayer in proclaiming the gospel while he's in chains. That he asks for boldness and for the words he ought to speak. It really has me question, what do I ask for prayer for? What do I ask for prayer for? And is it lining up with the calling of the Lord on your life? Are we just praying for the natural things that we desire? Or are there supernatural things that we ought to be praying for? Are our prayers being led by the Holy Spirit? What is our message as a church? What, what is our message as believers in Christ? Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God." Are our prayers tapping into the supernatural where the fight really is? Ephesians 6, 12. Or are we too busy listening to the, the voices of people, of our culture, than listening to the voice of God and attracted to the words of people more than we are attracted to the word of God more attracted to the talking to people more than we are to praying to God. It's so unusual. It is so unnatural what Paul is asking for. He is not asking for his freedom from prison. He's asking for boldness to proclaim the gospel in prison. And he asks for the words he ought to speak in prison. See, where he is doesn't change his calling at all. That he can share the gospel with someone in prison just like he can share the gospel with someone outside of those prison bars. And his purpose was the same. His purpose was to share the gospel and where he's sharing it is not of the concern. So his audience was going to be 
the other inmates, the soldiers, the people coming in and out of prison. And this is how Paul lived out his last days of his life before he's executed. He's lived in prisons for years. You look at the very end of Acts, Acts chapter 28, uh, verses 30 and 31. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And it was the prayers Paul asked for that fueled his ministry while he was locked up in prison, and it was a very fruitful ministry. Now, why would Paul ask for boldness? Because when we picture Paul, typically, don't we look at Paul and you're like, pretty bold guy. Like, why would, why would this bold guy ever ask for more boldness? I would argue, debate with you, that actually Paul was not a bold person. That actually Paul was probably much like any of us. Because you look back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 again and look mainly at verse 3 and look at what it says. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. See, that's not a bold guy. That's a pretty scared guy. And I think Paul struggled with boldness of proclaiming the gospel just like many of us do. And he needed prayer to boldly proclaim the gospel just like you and I do. See, Paul was out of his element in Corinth. He was called to preach to the Gentiles, but he's totally prepared to preach to Jews. Right? He's ready, like, I'm going to preach to Jews. I have the pedigree. I have the education. I was educated by Gamaliel. That's like, you know, Berkeley of Israel, whatever. And I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. I can minister to Jews. But God's like, nope, Gentiles. And so now he's like, Gentiles? They don't care about my education. They don't care about my upbringing. They don't care about any of this stuff. So Paul goes to a place where he has no credibility with Gentiles, which is the perfect place to be, because then you need God. You're not just dependent on yourself. Like, you know, I, I got the degree. I got the experience. I got the money. I got the backing. I got everything. No, God's just going to say, you just need me. All the other stuff, I'm wiping out. You're not going to be used for Jews. You're going to be used for Gentiles. And so he needs prayer. And he asks for prayer. And it's much like Peter in Acts chapter 4. They didn't have any credibility before the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Peter and John are arrested by the council, and they are asked this in Acts chapter 4, verse 7. By what power or by what name did you do this? And what did they do? They healed this lame beggar who was at the beautiful gate. If we ever get a chance to go to Israel, we'll show you the beautiful gate. It's still there. And then they preach the gospel and 5,000 men get saved. So it's actually probably more people than 5,000. And then this happened, Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. 
This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So John and Peter, just like Paul, totally out of their element, proclaiming the gospel. And it wasn't anyone's credibility. It was the Holy Spirit empowering them with this supernatural boldness. And then later on in Acts chapter 4, we'll read of what the disciples asked for. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Again, if we are to think about our natural prayers and we were to gather, what would we naturally pray for? Lord, keep us safe. Right? We'd pray for our safety. Lord, pray that none of us gets arrested, that we can live our lives peacefully and go back to our families and that we would all be safe. Those are not supernatural prayers. The supernatural prayer was to pray for boldness. And then this happened in Acts chapter 4, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, boldness does not equate to unkindness. We are to speak the truth in love, and that doesn't mean speaking unkindly. And oftentimes it's not what we say that is the greater offense, it is how we say things. Oftentimes Christians are guilty of this. We say these things and we say them in such ways that are harmful, that are unkind. We don't have to compromise our message but let's think through how we are saying things. And it does take boldness to proclaim 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, for there is no one God, for there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And so that is a truth. That takes boldness to proclaim. But what we need to take a look at is, is our tone that may come across unkind depending on how that is said or judgmental or condemning. And the truth of the gospel is not readily accepted by our culture. We know this. And yet, that's often what the church tries to cater to is the culture. We, we concern ourselves with what the culture concerns itself with more than Christ crucified. Christ crucified. The dying church focuses more on people than it does on God. Why is the church dying? Because we focus more on people than we do on God. We worship people over worshiping God. We spend time with cultural things more so than we do with the Word of God. We talk to people more about how they feel and what they want and all these other things, more than we pray to God and ask God, what do you want? 
See, Paul called himself an ambassador in chains in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 20. And essentially, ambassador for Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And we're so busy talking about reconciliation with each other and with people, which is a good thing to do. But we tend to focus more on that in a cultural way, that we need to reconcile with other people more than worrying about our reconciliation with God. We look at ambassadors differently, I think. Ambassadors today aren't chained. Actually, they have a pretty cush life, don't they? They have their special cars. They have special places that they live. They get all the reservations at the best restaurants easily. They actually are quite free because they have this thing called diplomatic immunity for them. So they get away with a lot. They, They can do whatever they want. And as they represent their respective governments in a foreign land, they're allowed to speak freely with authority on behalf of that government they represent. And you can recognize them sometimes because they have like different medals or different pins as they go out and, and it, it kind of marks their standing and they, you know, they're all special and everything. And then you look at Paul, the ambassador of Christ, and what do you see? Dude in chains, shackles, not special at all. It does not have an entourage, no special car. His, his house is a jail cell. Like... Nothing. And he's representing the kingdom of God. God's kingdom. To voice with authority who he represents and he has a message to deliver. Just like other ambassadors for their respective governments. But he actually comes in humility. And he comes in vulnerability. He comes in chains. Not entitled to anything. See, the gospel message we proclaim, it actually needs prayer. And it needs supernatural prayer to be delivered with boldness, with this humility and vulnerability and truth. But the most important piece that all of us are in need of is to contribute to this prayer. For all of us to pray. Every ambassador for Christ, ambassador in chain, needs prayer. They need prayers for them to speak boldly. And as a church, we are called to pray. It's one of our spiritual weapons. And we can pray for ourselves for this boldness, and we can pray for all the saints. And so let's practice this now. We'll just take like five minutes. If you're okay with this, I know some people are still kind of nervous talking in close proximity with people they don't know. If you're one of those people, then... Talk with people you do know. Like, if you're not, go ahead and get together with others. And let's pray together. And let's seek supernatural prayers. Let's pray supernatural prayers. Let's, let's pray for ambassadors in Christ, for boldness in Christ. Let's, let's seek those supernatural things and let's lean away from the natural prayers. We'll just take a couple of minutes, five minutes, and then we'll get back together and we'll have communion together. So I just encourage you to seek that supernatural prayer together and to pray for all the saints. Let's do that for just five minutes.
you are closing in prayer. Uh, for others who are ready, let's take our communion elements out and we'll, we'll wait for others to wrap up their prayers and we'll move into this sacrament together. Hopefully there's an opportunity for us to do a Passover Seder for us because there's so many rich elements within that. Um, one of these elements is, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but there's a piece called the Afikomen. There's several sleeves inside of this, I, I don't know what, the, the, the sleeves that you put the, the, the different wafers into, and the, the Afikomen is broken. It's the center wafer that's put into the center sleeve. So when Jesus breaks it, he's breaking the afikomen and he's placing it into the center sleeve. The other half is actually hidden and that's a game for kids to play and they go look for it. Um, and they find, yeah, I found, yeah, I found it. And they get some prize. But Christ is actually making a whole story and, and showing the symbol of like, this is my body broken for you and, and put it in the grave and like go find it and you find it and you celebrate right it's found um, that's the broken body of Christ for us that he has been broken for us but he has resurrected and we are celebrating this weekly to remember the sacrifice of God for us to impart his righteousness upon us let's take this together And the fruit of the vine, symbolizing the blood of Christ shed for us, we take this in remembrance of Christ's sacrifice for us. Lord Jesus, these simple elements that we partake of every week, but yet a powerful reminder of the promise you made to us to continue this practice until the day you return. And so we've been doing this, Lord, for couple of thousands of years eagerly awaiting your return but at the same time being so thankful for your mercy and grace that you are prolonging it think of loved ones that don't know you yet we think of so many who don't know you yet and so patient and long-suffering to have them come to know you before your return and so we pray lord for that to happen and we do eagerly wait your your coming lord so that things are made right thank you lord in jesus name amen